0: Let's continue with our lessons of our Amida. The Amida, prayer is a very, a very important prayer. It's when you're literally standing in front of the King of Kings. You're standing in front of Hashem. So how much more important it is. How much more important it is to us to really understand what it is that we're actually saying to Karosh when we're standing in His presence. So now let's talk about Hashem's Gevura. Now, there's another kind of geburah that uh one dedicated to giving strength and life to all living things so when we explore the first these first two blessings of Ashmana and we discover two amazing parallels when, when wherever the almighty's power and grandeur is mentioned as followed by his deep concern for all living things In our we praise god with the words all-powerful god great mighty awesome god supreme and in the next few words, God is described with his profound concern for his creatures. You bestow ultimate kindness to your crea- creations. Wherever you find God's might, there you will find his humility. In and, and Gevoros, too, we find a similar parallel. We first declare, you are mighty forever, my master. You revive the dead and have great power to save. And then we immediately follow this praise with, with words that express god's genuine care for all of his creations you sustain the living with kindness and you revive the dead with great compassion you support the fallen, heal the sick free the captives and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust and when we seek our daily audience to speak with the king of the universe we cannot help but feel overwhelmed by the thought that god would want us to meet that god would even want to meet with us after all we're just mere mortals and god surely must have more important matters on his agenda And we feel unworthy, undeserving of such an opportunity, but yet we know that God is the only one who can help us and that he wants to help us. God's Geburah then is much more than his might and power in the physical world. It's about his direct involvement with all that he has created. And so David Amalek expressed these feelings most eloquently. He said, when I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mortal man that you should remember him or the son of man that you should be mindful of him and then david amalek proceeds to answer his own questions he says yet you have made him only a little less than the angels and crowned him with the soul and splendor you gave him dominion over the works of your hands you placed everything under his feet now god relates directly to man because unlike everything else in the entire universe man has a soul which is part of god himself And after hashem finished forming adam and ishan the torah records that he blew into his nostrils the soul of life and man became a living being and so the hebrew word for breath is neshima and the hebrew word for soul is neshama so in other words god breathed into adam part of his very essence and that breath became adam's soul so because man's soul is part of god He relates to mankind on the highest personal level. God's relationship to man is one of Ashka prati, divine personal intervention. God's personal loving concern for mere mortals, above and beyond his ongoing role as a master of the universe, is described at the beginning of the halal, um, Halal prayer. Where it says, He is master above all nations. His glory is above the heaven. Who is like my master, our God, who sits enthroned so high, yet lowers himself to see the heavens and earth? He raises the lowly from the dust and the neediest from the trash heaps to seat them with the princes, princes and the princes of his people. He transforms the barren woman into a happy mother of children. Praise God. So God is a creator, a master of the universe, the Almighty all-powerful, awesome one, and much more. But what makes him especially esteemed in the eyes of mankind is a bond of strength through kindness and where he channels his strength and power into bringing life into this world and sustaining it. So now we can better understand why the second blessing of the Shmona Ezra is called Geburot, even though the specific term is barely mentioned. Gevurot is not just about God's act of strength and power. It's about God's divine providence directed to the needs of mankind. His concern and compassion touches everyone. You sustain the living with kindness and you revive the dead with great compassion. You support the fallen, heal the sick, free the captives and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. And it's possible that Gevurot, it's the overarching title for all acts of compassion, which God makes possible through his strength. The is highlighted beyond all others because it is the paradigm of strength through kindness. Imagine all the good and righteous people who died over the millennia, returning to life to thrill in the miracles of a new era. This phenomenal revival far exceeds any miracle that has ever happened to the Jewish people. So in Geberos, we begin the concluding blessing with, you are faithful to revive the dead. Faithful denotes one faithful to a promise. So how can we be sure, so sure that God will keep his promise? We are so sure that we assert three times a day that he will fulfill it. And the answer is found in the opening words of this blessing. You are mighty forever. My master, you revive the dead and have great power to save. And one commentator questioned the meaning of the words mighty forever and noted that unlike man whose strength and vigor become weaker as he ages, God is mighty forever. His strength and energy never, ever weaken or change. So God exists forever and he will keep his promises. He will never um, renege. The eternal father of Israel does not lie or relent for he's not a human that he should relent. And so now let's talk about the holiness of God's name where it says here in this part where it says you are holy and your name is holy and holy one praises you daily forever. Blessed are you, my master, the holy God. So in the Kedusha connection, the third blessing of the Shemona Esray is known as the Kedushash Hashem, the holiness of God's name. And it's always recited when we pray in the sight of the Shemona Esray. It's focused on our personal relationship with God and His holiness. You are holy and your name is holy. And what's the meaning of Kedushah? How does it fit into this sequence? So we can understand the purpose of the first blessing, Avot, which underscores our personal connection to God, going back to our forefathers. The second blessing, which highlights the mighty acts he does for us and for all living things. But how do we relate to the theme of holiness in this third blessing? God declares, you shall be holy for I am holy, your master, your God. And what does this declaration mean? God is holy because he is totally spiritual, perfect in every way. But man is subject to illicit desires and temptations in both his public and private lives. Commenting on this verse, Rashi explains that the command to be holy is to separate oneself from forbidden sexual relationships and sin. In other words, just as God is intrinsically holy, he wants us as physical beings to take steps to become a holy people. And this, God instructs, is our national mission. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there's another realm of Kedushah, beyond abstinence from sin, that encompass almost every area of Jewish life and mitzvah observance. Think of the many mitzvot that have Kedushah in their very names. For examples are Kiddush, to usher in Shabbat and Yom Tov, the recitation of the holy prayers of, K- of Kaddish and Kedushah, and the marriage betrothal of Kedushim. So in Judaism, Judaism there's, there's also holy people, Kedoshim, holy places, mekumos. Kedoshim, and the holiest day of the week is Shabbat Kodesh. So when the holy temple stood, all three types of holiness came together. The holiest man, the high priest, and the holiest in the holiest place. The holy of holies in the temple on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. So what makes our holiness special is that God empowered us to designate time and objects. And objects as holy. And since each of us is holy, we're able to make the physical world sacred. We raise a cup of wine on, on Pesach night and in the process sanctify the wine and declare Pesach a holy day. And so to, to better understand what holiness means, we turn to a phrase recited during Habdava, which signifies the end of the Holy Shabbat. He who distinguishes between holy and mundane, between light and darkness, between Israel and the nations, between the seventh seventh day and the sixth days of labor. And so note that the first item mentioned in each phrase is less prevalent than the second. There appears to be less holiness than the mundane. There's far less light than darkness in the universe. Israel is a minuscule fraction of all the nations and the Shabbat is outnumbered by the other six days of the week. Yet just as the shabbat has given a higher purpose to the six days of the week and israel has served as a source of morals and ethics to civilization so too will the eternal light of the torah diffuse universal darkness to awaken mankind to god's presence and purpose and so ultimately holiness representing god's spirituality will permeate and fill the great vacuum of pure materialism and the denial of god's existence and role in this world the hebrew root for For the Het and the Lamed and the Lamed, void or vacuum is associated with the root of mundane. Of mundane, which is the Het and the Vav and the Lamed. Okay, so how do we bring Kedusha into this physical world? The potential for holiness is inherent within our physical world, and we are blessed with the unique ability to activate it by performing mitzvot. And since God is everywhere and has created all existence, there is no place in the universe where he does not exist everything in creation the earth growing things wildlife all mankind all possess sparks of holiness to be released and elevated by man and how does this happen when a person takes the wolf from sheep in order to fulfill the mitzvah tzitzit the four species for sukkot including the etrog and the lulav the cow hides that are used to make parchment for mezuzot and tefillin lower levels of existence also play a role in these processes the earth provides the conditions for the plants to grow which ultimately provides food for the sheep and the cattle and utilizing all these natural substances man elevates the physical into the spiritual and now God's holy name where it says also you are holy it says you are holy so how do we declare or dare how do we dare even to describe God in his name when both are beyond description and what does it mean that his name is holy which implies that both god and his name are distinct entities rabbi menachem mendel of kotz once observed in his inimitable way if i am i because you are you and you are you because i am i then i'm not i and you're not you but if i am i Because I am I, and you are you, because you are you, then I am I, and you are you. And this can be understood clearly to mean that if the only way I can establish my individuality is by comparing myself to you, and the only way you can assert your uniqueness is by comparing yourself to me, then we are not unique individuals in our own right, but only by comparison to each other. However, if I'm truly a unique personality in my own way and you are in yours, then we're both distinct individuals. And then how can this concept be applied to our question about describing God? Because God is truly unique and totally indescribable by anything known to man. He existed before creation and will exist after the world ceases to be. God, the eternal one created time, past, present and future he's omniscient knowing everything that there is to be known he is omnipresent everywhere at all times so in the shema we proclaim that he is the only the only the one and only god's oneness is not a quantity to be measured when we declare that god is one it doesn't mean that he is less than two or more than zero these thoughts stagger our imaginations and so we are advised by our sages to not to contemplate them. Essentially, when we proclaim you are holy, we are saying you transcend our physical universe. Yet at the same time, you truly care for it. Every power is at your command. You are the one and the only power in the world. And we are totally dependent on you. When you perform miracles, we perceive your holy presence beyond the vessels of this world, even as you work within them. So ultimately, we must all strive at the same conclusion. We cannot understand or explain God or why God does what he does. His thoughts are unknowable and his actions are inscrutable. So we can only feel that he must really love us very much. He has rescued us from our enemies throughout the centuries. He has never, ever given up on us. For my master will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his heritage. He saves us so that we may live to, for, to forever tell our incredible story to future generations. And finally, he blessed us with holiness and made it our national mission in this world. You shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. Amen, Be Amen.